Welcome to the Start, Scale, Succeed podcast with me, your host, Nicole Higgins, the Buy and Retail Coach, sharing tips, advice, and insight from entrepreneurs that have just launched to multi-million pound business owners. We will be discussing the challenges they faced, advice they would give, and the milestones they achieved and how they got there. Also joining me will be a broad range of experts with some tips and practical how-tos, episodes that will help your business grow and to enable you to live the life you crave. The types of experts that you'll hear from will be those that you will find beneficial as you start and scale your business, from branding and social media experts to mindset coaches and PR marketing. There will also be solo episodes from me discussing a variety of topics from sourcing to maximizing the profit in your business. of unwanted clothing goes to landfill. So we are currently sending 700,000 tonnes to recycling centres, textile banks and clothing collections and to charity. So to give you a visual on that, that's enough to fill 459 Olympic swimming pools. And to help combat that, we can use fabric in a different way. Today, I'm joined by founders Katie and Amanda McCourt of sustainable lingerie brand Panty, who are using fabric termed as dead stock to create lingerie. So thank you very much for joining me, ladies. Thank you for having us. Now, I'd like to ask you, how did Panty come about? Tell us about your background. Now, Katie, you're in Vancouver. Amanda, you're in the UK. Yeah. So how did it all start? Oh, that's a good question. Um, So I literally was in a charity shop one day. I just recently moved to London and my friend sold a lot of stuff on Depop and was kind of showing me how it's all done. And I was just suddenly became aware of the amount of clothing in the store that was brand new, still had labels on. So I ended up reading, I think, Fashionopolis by Dana mm-hmm. Thomas and just got really interested in fashion and the waste problem. And one night I just randomly Googled, or I think it was on YouTube, I searched like, what can you do with an old t-shirt? And these videos came up and one of them was a woman turning underwear, well, turning t-shirts into underwear. And having read about the amount of dead stock fabric and dead stock clothing that there was, I thought, I wonder if this is something that can be done at scale rather than just turning kind of like our our old band t-shirts or boyfriend's t-shirts or whatever into underwear, which was done in the video. I thought, could this be a solution for t-shirts that actually are never even sold? So that's kind of where the idea came from. And then I came up with this name, Panty. And I think that's when I phoned Katie and I was like, oh, I've got this idea for a project. Like Katie had been living out of the country for three, nearly four years by that point. She had lived in New Zealand for a couple of years and we were not maybe talking as regularly. And I thought it'd be a really good way for us to still chat and like work on something together. So that's kind of where it all started. And Katie, when Amanda phoned you, what were your first thoughts? I just, I immediately loved it. I think very, very quickly we were like, okay, let's do this. Um, I don't think there was ever a question of whether or not we should or would do it. It was just a question of how. And we very quickly started to work pretty much every day um, where we could. Because at the time, I think I was still working full time for a tech company here in Vancouver. Um, And then I, Shortly after, I actually ended up transitioning into being a contractor. So I was working from home and I had more availability to work on Panty. um, And Amanda was already a contractor as well. So we were very much in the same boat. And um, I think just to add in terms of timeline, that would have been around September of 2019. So not that long after that, obviously, the pandemic hit Mm -hmm. and we were 
working on this like throughout lockdown and at one point we did feel like we were getting relatively close to launching and we were always quite interested in launching on kickstarter um but then obviously the world went into lockdown and um we ended up pushing our launch to november 2020 so it took us a good year of research and product development and meeting people where we could virtually <laughs> and learning <laughs> from them to actually bring our first iteration of our product to market and to be able to launch that but we've always kind of said that that extra time that we had was almost a, a bit of a gift it was a blessing in disguise and it did give us the opportunity to make the product as good as could be before we launched and for us to learn as much as we possibly could and for people that don't understand what dead stock is uh, amanda could you explain what that is yes yeah, so Deadstock for well, what we're working with um, with our first collection, the T-shirts. It's basically T-shirts that have been made but have never actually gone to the brand and um, that they were intended for. So they are essentially um, a waste from overproduction or potentially a cancelled order. There's lots of reasons why they end up Deadstock, but yeah, and you see kind of Deadstock garments and obviously fabric as well, which can be kind of end of rolls from a production line. And so that product would have ended up really in landfill if if it hadn't come to you and if you weren't using it uh, to make your collections. Yeah, I think dead stock is a it is a very tricky one because there are um, many potential ways that it can go. So it can go to a landfill, it can go to incineration, it can also go to secondary markets. So it's the problem with dead stock is always traceability on where things are intended to go. Um, but as we know, there's an incredible amount of waste. Um, through overproduction and for us particularly we were focusing on t-shirts in this instant um, so yeah we are reusing things that were deemed as waste and so you're manufacturing the products in Bangladesh yes. how did that and I know that you said at the beginning um, Katie that you had to do a lot of research talk us through some of the research that you did and how did you find your supplier in Bangladesh that you ended up uh, working with and developing that relationship with yeah so um, Katie and I, we have no kind of experience until now in the fashion industry. So we didn't know where to start. <laughs> and I think when we both had a chat about the fact that we were going to do this, I was like, well, for initially, the first thing we need to do is make um, a pair of panties out of a T-shirt. So I'm not... Um, at all good at stuff like that I don't have a sewing machine so I needed to find someone that could help me and my first step to doing that was literally going to almost like a, a dry cleaners that do alterations mm -hmm. and I went in there it was actually my our mom lives up in Yorkshire I went into the little high street shop and into this guy and I was like um and I when I watched the YouTube video it said take your favorite pair of pants because that's the cut and the style that you want the shape. yeah so, yeah <laughs> so although they were washed they weren't new um, <laughs> and then a t-shirt that I'd had that was the right kind of composition and I went in and I was trying to explain oh I just could you make this t-shirt into a pair of pants like this and I think the guy was terrified I had no idea what was going on I think he created me like I don't know 30 pounds more or something like that in a good few weeks to have it probably done. trying to say that you'd go away that you yeah, just exactly. go no I'm not doing that yeah <laughs> I kind of like did the calculation in my head and thought hmm that's not very commercially viable never mind next um and then eventually we went on to people prow and found a seamstress who did very first samples we didn't have a tech kit or anything we literally just got someone to kind of freestyle so we could yeah I could wear them so they didn't they didn't fit brilliantly but like they were very comfortable and it proved that essentially it's the same kind of composition it works so to kind of get from that stage to where we are now we did 
just immense amounts of research. And like Katie says, the kind of the lockdown period really made us review what we were thinking of doing and where and with who. And one of the added challenges for us is it wasn't just about finding a manufacturing partner. It was about the sourcing of the T-shirts too, Mm -hmm. because we needed that to be close by to each other. Um, so there's multiple points where you can take dev stock from. We wanted to take it from the fur, like the beginning of the supply chain rather than the end. Um, and we, I, I guess I can't all, I can't really even explain how I ended up meeting Karen, but Karen's been working with us for the last year now. And we actually met our manufacturing partner, Erdem, through her. So that was a contact of hers. But honestly, for us, we just networked a lot and we just, yeah. And we get the you know speak to as many people within the industry as possible, and we'd, when when we were able, go to kind of coffee meetings, have calls with people, and just ask a lot of questions. And I think that's what we were doing. I was doing with Karen anyway. I was phoning Karen yeah. every week until the point where I was like, actually, probably going to have to formalise this, otherwise she's going to be like, stop phoning me. Yeah. Um, so eventually we were like, can I keep phoning you but pay you as well? <laughs> and that's kind of how we started working with her, and she's been like fun like instrumental in getting uh, our manufacturing sorted and you mentioned where is Karen based or uh, how did you meet the UK um she's based in Hull so you've now found your supplier you found your sources you have your patterns made did you use a pattern cutter to help you develop these or is it from what you had done at the beginning we no no it was it wasn't at all um what we did at the beginning we didn't have patterns or even designs at the point so we actually worked with a designer um we had kind of an idea that we wanted these three styles of wreath three styles of um bras and we'd done a lot of kind of customer research so we'd start building our community quite early on in instagram we were asking people like what are your three favorite pairs of pants and like bra styles and things and we kind of round robined some ideas and then sent that to a designer and she created designs and then a tech kit so we started we had that all before quite far before actually finding our manufacturer so we were quite we were kind of prepared to go into sampling as soon as we found them and how far in advance were you active on instagram before the brand launched so the brand launched in um what did you say november 2020 yeah yeah um, well, my my background is I used to run a, a social media agency. So Instagram's kind of my, I guess, my comfort zone. Like I, it's where I have worked and what I know and kind of like a creative out there. And I always think once you kind of post something on there as well, you, you kind of have Make to- Make it real. <laughs> yeah, you've committed yeah. to it then. Like can't even even if no one's listening, you've put it out in the world. Exactly. And we went through stages of being like, oh, this is ridiculous. Why have we done this? We don't have a product. We're- potentially years off having product. We don't really know what our product is necessarily like end version is going to be, but we just kind of shared our journey. Um, We did a lot of kind of questions and polls and shared our kind of thoughts and of why we were launching. And we just managed to kind of garner a community from day one, really, which was 100% worth doing because when it came to our Kickstarter, we had so many people from Instagram convert and come and join us on our journey. And still now, I would say Instagram's kind of our biggest revenue driver. So was it about three months, six months, a year before you launched that you... Um, oh, yeah. Sorry, point of it, <laughs> it, was, it must have been a, a good year before. I right, was, okay. I think that's really important for people to know as well, that even though you may not have a finished product, if you have an idea, you have your branding, or well, you might not even have your branding at that stage, but you know, if you have an idea that you're engaging straight away so that you can 
like you say, that you can create that community, you can get their input, you know, before you launch rather than then just launch, you know, turning up November 20 to, to zero followers or zero community and then hoping you and just going fingers crossed, hope you like it. Whereas you had, like you said, you had a following already. And Katie, talk to me through the Kickstarter process. Um, why did you decide to go through Kickstarter in the first place? Um, how you managed it, what you did and how much you raised mm-hmm. through it? Yeah, of course. So for Kickstarter, there were a number of reasons why we decided to do it that way. I think one, we really wanted to, it's a really like hard way to launch something. You've got really defined dates. You're like, we're launching on this date, we're closing on this date. Essentially get your pre-orders in. And we very much saw it as a platform to efficiently run those pre-orders and be able to not just launch our website, but launch this one page campaign with a video and imagery and our story and our team and everything that had gone into it. I think after bringing people along on this journey, like man says, for a year, mm-hmm. um, we we thought it would be a really good approach. So we um, we launched the Kickstarter in November 2020 and we ran it for three weeks. And I think having built that engagement on Instagram and also from there been driving people to sign up for our emailing list, everything that we had done had been organic. But that organic audience was so engaged, we managed to raise um, 50% of our target in the first 24 hours. Right. And then um, overall, we managed to um, hit 110% of our target. So we raised £11,000 and that enabled us to launch our first collection, essentially. Mm-hmm. And um, we were able to deliver on those pre-orders in uh, end of January, February time. And that was a really amazing moment for us because we had been on this journey for such a long time at that point and I think we would both say there were times when we didn't know if we'd ever be able to launch (laughs) and we did Mm -hmm. we got it out there and um even kickstarter I think provides a good opportunity um for press we found that it was quite a good hook for us to start pitching to journalists and um, we did get quite a good uptake from a few different publications like Drapers, for example. They did an article on us when we reached our funding target. And I think that that, you know, we might have had the same success launching our website. We might not have. Um, but it's it was just all around, I think, the best approach for us. I think, I think, yeah, because generally they say with Kickstarter, it's it's a lot of like tech companies or gaming type things, you know, work on Kickstarter, but it's good to see something that's a fashion range that has worked on, on Kickstarter as well. But it's not an easy thing to do. There's a lot of prep that needs to go into doing a Kickstarter campaign for it to be successful. Yeah. And I think that that is something that um, going into it, I don't really think we knew as much as we know now um, about Kickstarter. And we um, we weren't really aware of the fact that, you know, Kickstarter was predominantly a male audience. Um, there is much fewer like female driven products there. There have been other big um, fashion brands that have launched on Kickstarter and Indiegogo. But when people ordinarily run really big, successful Kickstarter campaigns, the one that, that you see that are raising, you know, half a million, a million pounds in orders within a couple of weeks, like the, the lists that they drive beforehand with their paid marketing are extensive and we didn't do that we didn't do any any paid um media really on the run-up to the campaign and so we were just building it organically and it did it did work for us but I think um 
for if you're not prepared for that, for the amount of people that you need to have on your email list or in your audience, um, unless you've got your really good friends and family outreach, like it can come to the day where you launch your Kickstarter and you have an anticipation for people to find you through Kickstarter and like no one might come. I'd say mm-hmm. that's the biggest sort of learning is that you need to make sure that you've got that captive engaged audience that are there and they're ready to to support you. With the Kickstarter, it's almost like most of the work happens before you launch. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is reliant. Because I think they I remember we got told quite soon before launching you that typically the way that the Kickstarter campaigns work is your first kind of 24 to 48 hours is your busiest time and your peak time. And then it happens again, 24 or 40 hours before you finish, but then there's this gap in the middle. So it's, and it's the same with e-com, I guess. It's like, you, it's not every day the same. Um, so you kind of, you do have to be mentally prepared for that, I think. But from, from like a product side as well, um, it was whenever we contemplated launching on our website and doing pre-orders that way, we just didn't we didn't have the experience or understanding over kind of what people what we people would like out of our styles and like how many pe- people we'd managed to convert and people would buy um and even between like we only did black and white but which would be more popular so doing kickstarter gave us so much data straight off the bat to know that when we did place our kind of first order we can really see what people are wanting and really helped us on our kind of buying choices so we don't obviously create our own data stock too Yes, exactly. And and how does it function now? People order, you have stock available. What way does it work now? Yeah, so we do we do hold stock now. Um, we are kind of trying to catch up with ourselves. We're very um, careful with how much we buy. So we've been, we definitely found, I think, towards the beginning of the year, we were sitting out of stock quite a lot. Um, so obviously from a kind of fashion e-com brand perspective, that's not brilliant for you because you need to have that in to keep mm-hmm. it keep it selling um but yeah everything we do at the moment is still pretty small and we do our limited color drops as well so once they're gone they're they're gone um so we've kind of only got our black and white as our core line and i suppose do you brief your supplier erdem do you say we're looking for this color can you find this dead stock fabric or does he say i've got this coming in how does yeah, I mean, I w- sometimes, especially through summer when everyone was wearing colour, I would love to, you know, this colour, like everyone's wearing it quickly. Um, but that's just not, it's not how we kind of work. It is literally what's there and what's available to take and what what is is waste, um, which is a, is a, it's quite complex because it's not, there's not always what you kind of would think yeah, so often when we see colours when they're as T-shirts, we're like, oh, no, that's going to be horrible. Um, but then as soon as we kind of upcycle them into panties, they always look great and get a really good reception. So great. Yeah. And where would you like to where would you both like to see the brand going? What's you know, you've been trading now nearly a year. What's next for you and how would you like to see it grow? So we have huge ambitions for Panty as a brand. Um, we're actually just starting to undertake our first ever um, actual fundraising round. So we're trying to raise the money that we need to go into next year and be able to really amplify our mission, our values and our brand um, to kind of, I guess, level up. And we we really believe that there's huge opportunity for sustainable brands, um, whether you're in the UK or whether or not you're elsewhere, because the consumer demand is there already and it is growing. And I think it will get to the point where, you know, it's not 
even a selling point that you're a sustainable brand, it's a given. And I think yeah. that that is definitely something that we truly believe should be the case. But at the moment, it's very difficult for big fashion brands to pivot and uh, make things really sustainably. But we have the opportunity as a small brand to integrate sustainable practices from the start. And I think that we're doing all we can to do that. So when we do scale um, and we're producing at higher volumes, um, that we have still got that at the heart of our brand. So really we're gearing up now for next year to be what we consider our actual proper launch year. This year we've been um, trialing the product and getting feedback from our first customers and just really learning all we can. Um, But we've, yeah, really, we've got big plans up our sleeves. Great. (laughs) The beginning. Can't wait to see it. And is wholesale part of those plans? We're interested in partnerships. So we would love to potentially work with brands who have dead stock t-shirts and help them alleviate that waste in the way way that we do by turning them into underwear. So that's something that we would love to do. Um, But there's so much in in so many ways, there's so much more that we're realizing that there is to this business than um, just our kind of sustainability mission. We're really, um, really focused on comfort. And I think, like Katie rightly says, really sustainability should be something that all brands are focusing on as a mission, but not as a marketing piece. Mm-hmm. And we recently launched our first campaign called The Comfort Revolution. And we're just very keen to focus on the areas of discomfort that women have, anyone has in life, and see how we can tackle making those more comfortable. Um, when we first launched and we started to get a lot of kind of feedback on our underwear, everyone said one thing and that was that they were comfortable. And I think we've it's been a very uncomfortable year for most people with the lockdown. And I think everyone's started wearing much more comfortable clothes and no one wants to wear an underwear bra anymore. Um, so there's so much of that too that's really important to us. So it's not, you know, our product, yes, we want it to be sustainable, but it needs to fit well. Um, we need to have kind of good fit across all sizes and just be very functional. I think that's what we want from our underwear. Like we want it to be functional. We don't want it to rub and like sit in the wrong place. We want it to support us and make us feel comfortable. And that's something we've been working a lot on recently. We've been um, already kind of bringing out our second and now third iteration of product. So we've not kind of just sat on it, um, no pun intended, and <laughs> it. Um, we've been kind of figuring out from our audience, like what can we improve? Um, is there anything that we can do to make all sizes fit better? Um, so yeah, that's a real focus point for us at the moment. And what size do you currently go up to? So we are literally today launching XS and XL, and we're actually working on at the moment, which we are hoping to have launched by the end of the year, two and three times XL. And what would that relate to in a like an eight, size 18 or 20 or what would it be triple and double XL? Um, So, yes, I can definitely share the sizing chart. It's very tricky with underwear because we don't do it in that kind of sizing. So it would we really recommend people measure. Um, It's not always equating to um, a dress size. Yeah, just a dress size. Yeah, we try to we always try to avoid that just because it can be completely different. Your dress size to what your bra size is as well. Mm. Um, But yeah. So on the website, there's a size guide that will help you from a bra size as well versus what your sizing is. We've kind of got the chart so you can see if you're, for example, like a a 36 double D, you can see what that size would equate to. 
Great. And for, for people that are thinking of launching their own business, what would, what advice would you give them? Go for it. (laughs) Yeah. I think that it's always going to feel like an uphill battle. And I think that one of the biggest challenges that, um, I mean, I had, maybe both of us had was when we first started so much of the time, I just didn't really know what to do. Um, cause it's so overwhelming. There's so many elements to it. And I think that you just have to, at the start, continue to do things every single day when you can, and, um, just keep putting yourself out there, engaging with people, um, get your product out there early and it almost gets easier when you get a bit of momentum and you get more and more experience then you know your days will be packed full of things that you'll need to do and you'll you'll feel more comfortable doing because you do grow that knowledge and that understanding over time um but don't focus on oh my gosh like how am I going to get from where I am today to how I'm where I need to be in a year or two years because you will just overwhelm yourself and you know, it's it's new to everyone. I do think there is a degree of what people say when they say everyone's just figuring it out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we we certainly are still figuring out um, a lot of our business, and but that's part of the process, and you've just got to learn to love it. Absolutely, I think small steps every day, and to help build that momentum and get you through that to do list, rather like you say, rather than thinking six months or a year down the line, because you might just go, oh, I'll just have a cup of tea and sit down instead. I can't, I can't really do this, yeah. <laughs> but. It's true. My friend once said to me when I was speaking to her, I was having a really stressful day. And she said, just literally think 10 minutes at a time. Like, what do you have to do in the next 10 minutes? What do you feel you can achieve? And actually from that, you do have to have your big goals and you have to have your guiding lights of what you're working towards. But I think day-to-day tasks that can feel like you're drowning a lot of the time, especially when you've launched, because you have kind of customer service fulfillment on all of those other things, as well as your big goals of where you're headed. I do think when you just think 10 minutes at a time, what can I actually realistically get done today? It can make your life a lot easier. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's like Katie says, we are often like no idea what we're doing, but just speaking to as many people that have been there and done it has been really helpful for us because we've learned a lot through those conversations. I think we are lucky because we've done, done this and brought this business to life together. We've always been there to sort of egg each other on or like encourage each other when you do have those down days, because everybody does. And I do sometimes think, I really have a lot of respect for anybody that starts a business, but anybody that starts a business by themselves, just like, because you do, you need to be resilient and you need to be really, really determined. And when people say, no, that can't be done or don't really get it, you just have to think, oh, well, (laughs) they'll understand it when we show them what we're doing (laughs) and you've just got to keep going. Well, fantastic. Thanks very much for joining me today. And I look forward to having a look on the website and checking the brand out. And you're going to be one of my guests, aren't you? You're both going to be on my Instagram lives very soon on Tuesday, which I hold those. So anyone who's listening and they want to see the Instagram live, you can go to the Buy and Retail Coach on Instagram and you'll be able to check that live out along with some other lives. And like I said, thanks very much for joining me, ladies. Thank you for having us. So if people want to buy Panty and and check out the brand, where can they find it? So if you want to check us out, we are on panty.co.uk. That's P-A-N-T-E-E.co.uk. And on Instagram, we're at Panty. Panty.